Wonderful. Okay. So welcome back to the third series of the Motherworldly podcast, focusing on the joy of books, reading them, writing them, not reading them, not writing them. Given my background, it's no surprise that so many of the authors I've spoken with are writing about birth, parenting and feminism. Tessa Sanderson is a yoga and hypnobirthing teacher, a belly dancer, and being passionate about the importance of having knowledge about our bodies, an expert on the menstrual cycle. She runs Red Tent Gatherings and has produced two books for children about periods. Her latest work is called Pearls of Birth, and she's here to tell us about it. Did I capture you? Have I missed anything? What would you like to add about yourself, Tessa? Um, well, yeah, I do a lot of different things. You do, um, I saw that. <laughs> So I used to be an academic researcher and um, I did a PhD in medical sociology. I was based in a rheumatology department and continued for some time to do research about patients' well-being, really, and what normality looked like when they had a long-term condition and what their priorities were. Um, so a lot of the skills that I sort of gained through doing the PhD, like writing, um, it's a different voice, obviously, when you're writing academic papers. Um, and they're very different voices, depending on whether you're writing for a sociology journal or you're writing for a medical journal. But a lot of those skills, a lot of the budgeting skills have, have fed into the work that I do um, with my own business. So, yeah, I enjoy doing a range of things. Um, mm. Mm. Nice to be eclectic in your work. Yes. Like the variety, I'm the same. So you have the, the academic and research backgrounds and you also, it, from, from my reading, I understand, and um, you sent me an excerpt of your book as well, which was really interesting. Um, it seems like the, the yoga part of your background is quite um, strong. Yeah, when, when I was doing my first degree, which was in geography and anthropology, um, I came across meditation. And so it's really, I came into yoga through the meditation part. And that's been with me ever since. And after a while of doing yoga myself and feeling the benefits, I thought, well, I'd, I'd love to train to be a yoga teacher and, and sort of share that. And when I'd been doing general classes for a while, uh, I began to have pregnant women in the classes and felt like they were being a little bit shortchanged because I would have to modify quite heavily for them so that it was safe with, with baby being there. Um, and I, and I felt also that they weren't really getting all the antenatal knowledge um, that would help prepare them for the birth. So I felt like the pregnancy yoga is, is a very different thing than a general class. I, I, have, I have been to pregnancy classes where it is purely the yoga to sort of move safely in, in the pregnancy, to keep active, and, and the birth hasn't been discussed. But the way I teach it is very much to incorporate the birth know-how as well. Did you start doing that before you became a mother yourself? Yes. Yeah. So I, I did my general training and then it was it was the year afterwards I did my pregnancy yoga sort of advanced training. Um, and I'm just trying to think how many years it was. It must have been at least 15 years before I then had my first daughter. Um, and I don't think it changed so much the content of what I was teaching, but there was suddenly a lot more empathy when you when you've been in the third trimester and 
sort of moving becomes harder and the the tiredness and all the different things you know I, I could just really understand what somebody might be going through so it was it was how I could relate to them that really changed but 15 years of teaching pregnancy yoga must have had a profound impact on your own experience and expectations of birth yes um I mean, I, I love reading and I'd read lots of collections of birth stories. And I think that had also affected what I thought my birth might look like. Um, so with my, my first daughter, I had planned to have a home birth. And in the end, uh, there wasn't a midwife to come out and attend. So I went into the hospital and had a lovely water birth there. And with the second baby, I was really determined to have a home birth because everything had gone so well with the first one. So I decided to hire an independent midwife. Um, but I, I really do think that all those years of meditation beforehand had set me up so beautifully for responding to my, my body during the, the labour. Um, I, I think part of it is that I wasn't afraid to meet the sensation um, sometimes in, in sort of pregnancy forums, you hear a lot of sort of anxiety about the pain that they might feel. And I think in the, in the early stages of labour, there can be a lot of distraction. You could use relaxation tracks, music, watch a box set. <laughs> um, but I think there's a certain point when it helps to actually meet the sensation and um, to be in the moment and and actually not be distracted it depends person to person but I, I personally found that to really be present with each contraction helped me mm -hmm. mm. Mm. and and this sounds like a big digression but actually it's not is it because all of this is what you what you have brought together into the book that we're talking about which is um I've got it here pearls of birth wisdom I think I got the title wrong earlier didn't I um, an inner journey with stories, insights and practices. So when you sent me the PDF, I started browsing through it and realised that it is exactly that. So you have woven information with birth stories, with um, meditation and relaxation practices. Yeah, I, I wanted there to be different voices. Initially, my first idea was to create a a collection of birth stories because I'm, I'm sent so many all of the time <laughs> um, and I wanted to make sure that it was a diverse collection of birth stories um, because sometimes in, in sort of hypnobirthing books or other um, how-to books around birth it, they tend to give only very positive similar stories um, and so if, if somebody previously has had a cesarean and then wonders where they're going to go from there, it's, I think it's really helpful to have a VBAC story in there, for example. Um, so I wanted to include induction and a breech birth and, and a range of things. But as I started collecting the stories, I, I just was so tempted to sort of unpack some of what they were talking about. Um, so if they mentioned a particular breathing technique, it felt nice to share that with the reader, what actually are they talking about? Um, so yeah, there's, there's the voice of the, the mums and a couple of dads. There's my voice as a pregnancy yoga teacher. 
Um, and I've also put in resources. So there are other people's voices if people want to kind of take their reading further in a particular area. Yes, so it's um, supported as well by um, some references and that's what I'd expect as a, with a research background, um, which makes it really nice um, to have both the voices and the evidence base in one um, nice little volume. So who are you expecting to read your book? The person that I was sort of mainly thinking about was uh, a pregnant woman who might be a first-time mum or it might be a subsequent child um, but that wanted to dive a little bit deeper into it uh, because I, I think pregnancy and birth are, are such a gateway to to change on a personal level it can it can be a rite of passage um, in in the best kind of way and I think sometimes there's such a focus in in courses about the birth, just the birth. Um, and it sort of overlooks the fact that a lot of the learning that we do and a lot of the preparation we do affects us for the rest of our life. So in the birth preparation workshops I do, very often um, the partners will learn techniques that actually help them in their work. You know, it has, it, there's so much that you can apply to other situations and it can actually be a real um, journey inwards and some of, some of the, the chapters are quite deep issues, um, you know, maybe around body image or body sovereignty. And there might be a whole sort of history to unpick there um, that can then transform how that person is as a mother, how they support their child to grow up, how that child will go through puberty. I, I just think that it's like a crucible for such change if somebody's ready to engage with it. You just used an interesting term, body sovereignty. Can you say more about that? Well, um, I was I was talking to you when we when we started about how I was in a, a networking group earlier, and um, one of the ladies that talked was a hypnobirthing teacher, and she she mentioned about how some some pregnant women sort of come into the the system, they start registering for appointments, and it can be quite easy then to to hand over decision making to health professionals to feel like you're sort of swept along on this wave um, where there's people who've been a midwife for many years or a consultant for many years um, and it can be easy to sort of lose your power in that so in in my weekly classes in in the workshops i do it's very much about holding on to the power and the ownership of your body really um that's a, what body sovereignty for me is it is really feeling like this is my body and i can make decisions about it other people might not always agree with my decisions um but i think sovereignty is something very sacred um that you know a lot of midwives and health professionals work hard to maintain you know that that decision making to put the locus of control with the woman actually feels like something that is very hard to um, facilitate or teach to pregnant women to, to anybody probably but that those are our demographic aren't, aren't they but to get that across um in a culture that considers the pregnant woman to be a precious vessel for her baby 
um, it's it's something that we really have to challenge. I think one way to do that through the pregnancy yoga is that if week after week you are really getting in touch with how your body feels, so really embodied practice where you notice um, it might it might be things that happen during the class. Maybe somebody arrives late and sort of is noisy as they arrive and um, it's talking a lot. Oh, sorry, I'm late on the bus. And you can feel that intrusion or that sort of interruption in your body. And you can notice how powerful that is. Um, when you start to notice those, ex those experiences and those changes, I think it begins to give you an insight to the, the power that words can have, environments can have on, on how you feel and how you can have an effect on that so you can choose to create some kind of buffer from that person say well there, there is that interruption but I'm going to choose not to react to it and of course that takes practice and that's where the mindfulness week after week of somebody coming to the class really starts to pay off so it's about creating a, a sense of inner awareness and not not being afraid to respond to it and acknowledge it can you get that across with the book? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Um, what I've also done in the book is to have a section at the end of each chapter where there are reflections. So what I'm hoping is that people will take the time to sit with questions. And it might not be all of them, but they might find that something grates on them. <laughs> and they go, oh, this is challenging. I'm not sure that I want to really consider, you know, so it, going back to the, the, the body image or the body sovereignty, um, there's one story in the book about birth after sexual abuse. And I was so pleased when the person generously, you know, offered to share that because that does affect a lot of people. And it, that's, that's a hard thing to go, you know, it, birth might be very triggering for somebody who's, who's um, survived sexual abuse, but there, there's an opportunity to heal this um, if they want to go there. And of course, you know, the book might not always be enough, but it's, it's signposting that there might be an issue here and you might decide to go and get further support um, so that you can heal something and not take it with you through into motherhood. Um, you know, or, or be aware of that journey that, that you're on. I, I, sometimes I think birth can be such a healing opportunity. There can be a real reclamation of the, the body. Mm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I'm just looking in the book at your, the reflection section at the end of each chapter. Um, you ask questions and prompts for people to think about what they want for their birth experience and what they, what they need. Mm. And I also hope that people like doulas might be interested in in reading it and perhaps using it as prompts if they have a, a circle with other doulas as a way of uh, thinking about some of the bigger issues. It certainly looks like the sort of book that would be enjoyed by people who work in birth. Mm -hmm. I can see yeah. it going down very well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what is your process of writing the book? I uh, started with thinking about collecting stories so um, when people send me emails 
I tend to generally sort of save them. I'll ask permission and say, is it okay if I save your story? And with the book, I then decided that with some of the stories, I needed more detail. People often send me very detailed birth stories and it might be like two days after the baby's born. And it amazes me that um, they've got the presence of mind and the energy to do it. Um, but so the first part of writing the book was actually to get others to write a little bit more. So I had a really good picture with all the nitty gritty because it's sometimes their throwaway comments that are the most interesting about what they felt like eating or not. Or, um, you know, I had, I had a, the last birth story I had through was uh, the husband died. Uh, sorry, the, the husband fainted during um, an epidural. And uh, so for a while, the attention was all on the husband rather than on, on the laboring woman. <laughs> um, but then I, as I began to feel like I wanted to add some insights from having taught pregnancy yoga for a while, um, I started to write a structure. So before I began fleshing out the chapters, I, I decided on an overarching structure. And that's where the pearls came in. I felt very much that the stories were the real stars of the book. And so I, I decided to call them the pearls. And then my narrative is what sort of holds them together. So it's like the thread of a necklace holding all the pearls together. And you mentioned in your introduction the birthing, birthing necklace. Yes. Um, part of a, what was it, a birth blessing way? Yes. Yeah. So I, I facilitate mother blessings sometimes. And a really popular activity that we do is that everybody will bring a bead and will thread it onto a thread and then she might wear that during the labor and remember all of the support she has from friends and family and they're often sort of re a really weird assortment of beads because people are or, or buttons or random objects <laughs> but they're so beautiful because it's unique this is that in in book form yes <laughs> yeah so I, I began, once I had the overall structure, I, I sort of tried to pick out the themes that I, I had seen in the stories and that I noticed over the years of teaching birth preparation um, and try to just sort of speak to those bigger themes, going from more practical at the beginning to uh, at the end, talking about trust and about trying to gather information, have that embodied pra practice and all sorts of things so that at the end there's a trust. Um, and it, it changed as, as I was writing, it really uh, changed as, as you would hope. <laughs> and how was it um, seeking, I'm interested in um, the, the kind of actual process of getting it published because there was, this is a saturated market as far as I can see of uh, books about how to have a baby and birth stories. Um, um, I've read so many of them and there's never, very, or very rarely, I can think of a couple of exceptions, there are rarely ones where I think this should not exist. This is a bad birth book and yours is certainly not in that category. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> how do you convince a publisher to publish another birth book? Well, I mean, I, I did wonder myself when I, when I had the idea of making a collection of birth stories, I thought, well, we'll is there room in the market for it? Um, but I personally can't get enough of birth stories. 
and I, I do have a collection, uh, but although you say there's a lot in, I think there's a lot of how-to books and sort of about techniques and mindset. I think there are actually fewer of birth stories. Um, so I thought, well, let's go with it. I think definitely the people in my classes will, will buy it. And I've got, you know, quite a, quite a big audience now of people who are interested in what I'm doing. So my, my first step really was to do a publishing course because at the time I was thinking about doing this book, I was quite new to thinking about it all. So I did a course with Lucy Pierce, who has the Woman Craft Publishing House. So she's done books like Medicine Woman, Burning Woman, and all sorts of very creative things. And that course really opened my eyes um, because I, I was very intent, first of all, on finding a, a publisher. Because with that comes a sort of status as well, I think. You know, you can, a lot of people say, oh, I've been published by Hay House or whoever. Um, but as I went along on the course, uh, she talks about something called Publishing 3.0 where you self-publish but you buy in help so you buy in maybe the services of an editor or a graphic designer or whoever else you might need um, and after lots of consideration I decided that that was the right route for me um, so yeah it was, it was a process of because this is this is quite complicated but compared to my children's books uh, which were quite simple to to write because of the different voices in this, I felt that I, I really did need an editor to make sure that it was consistent and um, that it, each part was introduced well and, and so on. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's been a journey with sort of learning about uh, KDP, the sort of Amazon branch of print on demand and about Ingram Spark and learning how to, to use those different services. But it's gone really beautifully with with my children's books. I've been really pleased at how I've been able to to get those out into the world. So that gave me a lot of encouragement for the the birth wisdom one. Tell me more about writing the children's books. That's interesting. Well, the first one um, came about because I've been teaching and facilitating sort of puberty workshops for girls. And I couldn't find quite the right book um, at the right age. They all seem to be for older girls. And a lot of the illustrations would be a lot like a sort of biology textbook, black and white, kind of boring, to be honest. <laughs> um, and so because I couldn't find what I wanted, I began to think, wouldn't it be nice to have a book um, that explains the proper names for anatomy what what is where um, and an introduction to periods and I was looking very much at sort of five plus so that was the kind of age range and I was reading a book to my daughter my second daughter one day called Press Here and it's by somebody called Hervé Tulane and as you go through it it has an action on each page so now a lot of children are used to touch screens and everything kind of being responsive but with this book you press something you turn the page and something's happened so it's quite old school <laughs> but I just thought how engaging how wonderful and um you know in 
just in one bedtime we might go through the book five times that's how much she enjoyed it so I, I just thought I could do that for a book about how your body changes make it really interactive so it's fun and entertaining um, and in a way I just sort of had an idea of the whole book in one go <laughs> is it a pop-up book on puberty no it's not a pop-up book but I, <laughs> I just mean it sort of the idea just is like downloading it. I had an idea of what exactly the pictures would look like and how it would have an action on each page. Um, it has different levels of text depending whether the child is younger or older and ready for more detail. That's brilliant. I need to go and look for this. <laughs> and I just I thought it's so important because if, if children are more comfortable with their bodies, when they get older and perhaps think about having children I think that will make the journey into pregnancy and birth much easier goes back to that awareness yeah mm. yeah and also taking the shame away from talking about the body normalizing talking about your body yeah yeah no, that sounds like an important thing to be doing yeah um, a total change of subject I occasionally remember to ask people about what they're reading and what they've been reading in lockdown Oh gosh, I've, I've read quite a lot. Um, pick one out. Uh, something I've really enjoyed is The Way of the Rose. I don't know if you've come across this one. It was a, a friend of mine, a colleague down in Bristol, who uh, posted about it on her Instagram account. And it just looked so intriguing. And it's about the history of the rosary. I, I don't come... Uh, from really any kind of religious background um, and this one talks about the history of the rosary and how to have a different kind of practice with it almost to sort of um, rediscover it reposition it in our current culture um, and so the people that wrote the book it's a husband and wife team talk about how they've set up circles it's they mainly seem to be in America I think I only found a couple that are in the UK, but they come together and they repeat the rosary. And then it's, it's a circle really where they, then they will share what's happening for them and they can ask for prayers to be said about uh, whatever problem they have. Um, but it's, it's sort of disconnected from all the other um, structures and rites and rituals of Catholicism um, yeah it was that was a really interesting read I, I just love the history part of it and they talked about how originally that people would actually make uh, wreaths so flowers roses and that's where rosary came from so they would place the wreath around them and it was a sort of celebration of the mother and yeah so even if somebody you know doesn't feel that they're Christian I, I would really recommend it it's it's about spirituality and about um, the couple exploring, they, they travel over to France and it's just a wonderful story. That sounds intriguing. Yeah. <laughs> That's lovely. So thank you very much for sparing me half an hour for, um, for the podcast and for the 14 listeners that we currently have, <laughs> which is really kind of you. Um, You're welcome. That's, that's lovely. Thank you. 
Tessa can be found on tessayoga.co.uk and cyclicalwisdom.com and you can have a look on those sites for information about her yoga classes if you are local and of course all of her books. We will be back next week um, with an interview, an absolutely fascinating interview which could have gone on for an awful lot longer um, with Lucinda Hawksley who is an author of many many biographies, um, a historian and an all-round very fascinating person. That'll be out on Friday unless you're on Patreon in which case you'll have already heard it by the time um, it comes out because Patreon subscribers get the episodes as soon as they're made. If you'd like to join Patreon, I am on patreon.com slash motherworldly. You can also follow me on Twitter at uh, motherworldlyuk and Instagram um, where I am motherworldlypod and frankly not a great Instagram user so you just don't see an awful lot of content there. Um, really not sure what I'm supposed to be doing with that. Thank you for listening and um, catch you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>